2: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, my guy, Jack Manuel. Jack, what's up?
1: Talking Kyrie, ladies and gents.
2: We are getting into our player preview series, and we're starting off with one of the biggest signings of the Nets offseason, but the NBA offseason, Kyrie Irving. Before we get into that, though, quick reminder you can find the show on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Google Play, and YouTube. Also, head to Design Tree, grab yourself a Brooklyn Buzz t-shirt, save yourself five bucks on that with OTG5. But like Jack mentioned, we're diving into Kyrie. All-NBA, second-team point guard, put up 23.8 points per game, 6.9 assists, five rebounds, shot 48% from the field, 40% from three, 87% from the free throw line uh, over a steal a game. Jack, these stats are nice.
1: Yeah, I mean, Kyrie Irving is nice. I think that, like most players, most people in uh, in the game that have watched a M- game of NBA basketball recognize the talent that Kyrie Irving has. Um, I think he gets overshadowed by his personality, by a lot of people, um, rightly or wrongly. Um, but Kyrie Irving had a tremendous season last year, especially that regular season. You know, his assist numbers were outstanding. You know, he was getting some boards. You know, he just. You know the regular season form he had um, was incredible, and despite the fact that there were you know a lot of uh, misgivings and and, and and lack of harmony in the Boston Celtics locker room, uh, it didn't take away from his production on the court. Uh, he started off the season especially like a house on fire with some massive games. You know against Philly, um, uh, against Toronto. You know in those big games, Kyrie Irving really stepped up. Uh, it was a shame he couldn't bring that with him into to the postseason as well, but. He had an incredible regular season, and he is one of the top two, top three point guards in the game today.
2: Yeah, I think one thing that just instantly sticks out is the efficiency. You know, you look at the numbers, 48% from the field, 40% from three, 87% from the free throw line, and only 2.6 turnovers with almost seven assists. Like, just a very efficient player. Like you mentioned, Jack, you know, most people watch the NBA would say Kyrie's nice. He's an elite NBA player, especially on the offensive end of the floor and arguably a top two, top three point guard in this league. So would you say last year was a success or disappointment for Kyrie?
1: Um, I'm going with disappointment because you can't help but have a left a sour taste in your mouth by what he produced in the offseason. You know, he wasn't able to lead the Celtics to some greater success. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, it wasn't all his fault. And we've spoken about that at length. But, you know, a brunt of the brain does have to be put on him as the team's best player as the team's leader you know he is the the fulcrum of the offense um you know he like we sort of spoke about he was great in the regular season but um some of the best possible maybe that he's ever played as a professional but the postseason you know he really did you know he, he failed to step up he rail he failed to really make his mark which is odd because he's normally just such a really good big game player um And obviously there was, you know, so many circumstances surrounding that. But um, I think you can split it into, I guess, you know, sort of two halves. You know, regular season success, playoffs, postseason disappointment.
2: Yeah, you could even say like almost the first half of the year. And then as you got kind of past January, you kind of started to feel that tension. You know, like we've talked about on previous buzzes, he was reaching out to Spencer Dinwiddie around December. So maybe that first half of the year was a success, but then he kind of felt some disconnect. And that second year is a failure. Or you could even say on the court, maybe a success, off the court, a disappointment. So just a couple of different ways to look at Kyrie's season. It was just really a weird year, not only for him, but also the Boston Celtics
1: yeah definitely and i mean if we're looking at the numbers pre and post all-star break it's funny because pre all-star break he averaged 23.6 points 4.9 rebounds 6.9 assists post all-star break 24.4 points 5.4 rebounds and seven assists so He had a better post-All-Star break. Um, It was just, you know, the month of April was probably, you know, one of his poorer months. You know, obviously, he averaged 22 points, 4.3 rebounds, and 4.8 assists. So, um, throughout the season, he was relatively consistent. It was literally just, you know, he continued to put up numbers, but... The numbers weren't as impactful. The, the the Boston Celtics weren't getting the wins. Uh, I think if you're looking purely statistically, Kyrie Irving continued to produce throughout the, the entire regular season. Uh, yes, there were games and, and moments here and there, and especially in clutch moments where the tension was built with him and and Brad Simmons and a lot of the other guys in the locker room. And again, for me, uh, at the end of the day, you want your best player to step up in the biggest moments. And the biggest moments come in the playoffs where you want to experience the most success. And... And Curry was bad then. Uh, quite simply, he was poor. And I think that that is why I will judge, despite the fact that it's a much smaller um, body of work to, to judge him from, it is the most important body of work to judge him from. So for me, overall, it's going to be a little bit of a disappointment.
2: Yeah, and I think you look at that postseason two as you probably have the most disconnect lack of chemistry at that point i think just a matchup with milwaukee wasn't well and just the options boston has but this is not a celtics podcast we don't care about their last season we already did that comparison a couple shows ago but let's talk strengths of kyrie irving's game and there's a lot of them jack
1: there are and i'm interested to hear if you actually have any more than what i'm gonna list here i've got ball handling scoring uh, ability to read angles body movements shooting from every facet of the floor Uh, He's passing has improved. He's incredible in the pick and roll. He's an incredible free throw shooter and one of the best drivers that we've ever seen.
2: Okay, so I do have some more. I kind of felt like that was a challenge. Uh, (laughs) I I feel like Kyrie looking to the stats, he's better off ball than you probably think. Obviously, you think Kyrie Irving, you think he has a ball in his hands a lot. Shot really nice numbers off the ball last year as well. You know, he was successful with LeBron and Cleveland. They won a championship and LeBron had the ball in his hands the majority of the time. Also, you mentioned... You know body positioning he's excellent at positioning his body into a point where the defender cannot block the shot without fouling him and i think that's crucial and that comes with the great body movement that he has and control of his body You know, good pull-up game um i think his basketball iq is really underrated like if you watch him on the floor he makes so many good reads in terms of having the ball in his hands or not having the ball in his hands so and then you know he's excellent he's a clutch player i think he was fifth in the nba in clutch scoring last year Just almost every offensive category, I'm not sure if he's bad in any offensive category.
1: I don't think he is either. I think the IQ sort of thing um, relates to one of the quotes he had with Jack McMillan where he called himself, you know, a basketball genius. And, yeah, he's uh, a little bit cocky in in the sort of comment when you're looking at it, you know, overall. But he is. When you look at what he can do on the floor, there isn't a more dazzling player we've ever seen. Um, I can't remember what... You know, former NBA great, called him the best ball handler of all time. Was it Jason Williams or someone along those lines? I can't remember why. Chocolate might have been him. Um, and yeah, he is hes going to go down as an all-timer. Um, this next chapter of his career with the Brooklyn Nets is going to define, you know, where he will finish, you know, as an all-time player. Um, but what he has now, um, he has talent in spades. And on that offensive end, there aren't many weaknesses.
2: In talking ball handling, it always pops in my head is that scrimmage from Team USA a couple years ago where he essentially took on the entire Team USA team and just is able to get to the rim. It was ridiculous, you know, and that's just the kind of thing you see from him. And, you know, we didn't even mention it. He's one of the best tough shot makers in the NBA. I mean, you could think you have him locked up and all of a sudden it's a swoosh. You know, Clay Thompson knows that best from the NBA Finals.
1: Yeah, I was literally just finished a breakdown uh, of his game against the Philadelphia 76ers. And Jimmy Butler, some of the possessions that he has on him, he's guarding him as well as you can guard him. But good offense will always be good defense. And that you know, probably defines Kyrie's narrative as a player on the floor. He just makes bad shots look good. He makes tough shots look good. And it's what draws us to him and it's what makes him so dazzling and to watch and, and so marketable on and off the floor. Um, he is, you know, a, a basketball marvel, a basketball genius.
2: And that goes without saying, finishing in traffic. He's excellent at, but something that I uh, stuck out to me, and I don't think people talk about it because the ball handling picks up so much. He has excellent footwork.
1: Yeah. I think that the footwork relates to, you know, I've seen like his changes of pace quite a bit, mm. you know, he, because you know, it's hard. we've we've all like played a little bit of basketball here and there, but to be able to, you know, stop on a whim and, and like you sort of said the pull up shot, but then sort of create pace, slow down the pace. He's just, you know, I think control defines a, a lot of what he does. He just always seems in control with the ball in his hands, whether he's shooting, whether he's dribbling. You know, you just want to put the ball in Kyrie Irving's hands because you know something is going to happen. Uh, it'd be interesting, you know, just a, a fascinating sort of narrative if he was. In Houston and, and coached by Mike D'Antoni and given the same reign, the same sort of usage rate, what the Houston Rockets could be. It's just a fascinating sort of thought exercise that sort of came into my head because he's just so insane and so talented uh, and so clever and so controlled when he has the ball in his hands. He just makes the, the right calls in the right place the majority of the time. And he's
2: extremely creative, too. Just like some of the plays you watch, it's like something you might have never seen before on an NBA court. It's not in a bad way. It's in a good way. It's like, wow, why has no one ever tried to do this before? And with some of the layup finishes he has, it's ridiculous. And that'd be really fun to see him in Houston. Even just, it'd be interesting to see his numbers if he was playing close to 40 minutes a game. You know, last year, I think he only played like 33 minutes. And if he played a big chunk of minutes, obviously some of that is due to his health concern. But I would be interested to see what those numbers would look like.
1: Yeah, the most minutes he's played in his career um, is 36.4 in 2014-15. So, and he's only played above 35 minutes uh, two other times uh, in 2016-17 when they won that championship, uh, and then uh, also in 2013-14. So, also both years are where the only years where he's played more than 70 games as well. So, um, you know, we'll obviously get to our prediction in terms of his minutes here uh, later on. Um, but yeah, when you're looking at, you know, James Harden who plays 36 minutes plus, LeBron James 36 minutes plus, uh, I think, you know, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, his health isn't always, is always going to be, you know, some sort of lingering concern. He's had niggling injuries uh, for quite a while in his career and that has prevented him from playing 75 games plus on the on a regular occasion. So that's always going to be a worry for him and I, and I guess it's probably one of the weaknesses.
2: Yeah, transitioning to the weaknesses, you know, the durability is a question. And obviously, he had that really weird knee surgery, not last season, the season prior, where he had an infection. And there was some major concern about him even playing basketball. It was kind of swept under the rug because people didn't know about it. But that was kind of scary.
1: Yeah, I think it's worrisome. Uh, when any player has obviously an injury history and for Kyrie Irving, you're willing to take that risk and you know, same with Kevin Durant, the, the Nets have really um, gone all in on, on these two guys who do have an injury history and obviously they're betting on their training staff but at the end of the day, you can have the best medical staff in in the history of the game and, and in the history of sports but sometimes the human body is just a weird and wonderful thing and hopefully, you know, we're um, not speaking about any sort of injury concerns for for either of these guys going forward but yeah, durability, you know, I think that a lot of guys will say the best of um, ability is availability. And, you know, I think we're hoping that Kyrie Irving can play 70 games plus um, for the foreseeable future in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. Um, he'll be managed, obviously, correctly by the training staff. But, yeah, durability is probably one of the number one concerns and relates to his weaknesses. And, you know, obviously, he can't necessarily help that in terms of his on-court production and such. But uh, it certainly is worrisome to at least a minor, minor, uh, minor extent.
2: Yeah, hopefully that Brooklyn air has his body feeling 100%. Uh, in terms of other weaknesses, what do you got, Jack? Uh,
1: I've got defensive engagement. Um, I'd like him to get to the free throw line more. Um, yeah. I think that he has such great talent then. I think that coach can probably challenge him to do so as well. Um, again, when we get to that, how the coaches can help him. Um, I think he had a really good rebounding season last year. But again, it was only proven for one year. Um, and I think that as a rebounder, you know, when he has the ball in his hands, he gets down in transition. I think that he can be really dangerous. So I think that consistency and rebounding, I think is one area that he can do better at as well, because he's got some size about him. He's not as big as D'Angelo, but I think he's probably a little more uh, engaged and wants to get those rebounds um, when he wants to. You know, five rebounds is a really good number for a point guard. Um, and maybe one um, that Boston Celtics fans will probably vibe with, and Gus and, and, and Cam and a lot of the other, and Matt might uh, agree with this one as well. Does he make the teammates around him better. Um, I, you know, he's play, he's been the number two guy to LeBron James. Where well, obviously we know LeBron James is, makes literally, you know, the scrubs look like superstars. You know, J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson, these sort of guys. He elevates them, he gets them paid. Can Kyrie Irving make Torian Prince look really good? Can he make Joe Harris... Uh, be one of the best three-point shooters for the second season in a row. Um, His assist numbers reflected it. Obviously, he had some really good talent uh, in Boston. There's probably a little bit less talent overall uh, in Brooklyn compared to last year's Boston Celtics squad, but that's one thing that you could probably uh, put a question mark on him as well. Does he make the teammates around him better?
2: Yeah, and I just want to get this one point, and I know we're talking weaknesses, but you maybe think about it with the rebounding. Just t- going back to the strengths real quick, I was really impressed with his transition play, and his ability to finish in transition against oh, the yeah. defenders. So if he's able to maintain that rebounding, like you pointed out, Jack, you know, best rebounding year of his career, that would be big for him. But I agree can he play point guard? Like, can he make his teammates better? Can he run the show and set guys up to be in good positions? That's not just getting assists. That's, you know, making sure your teammates are in the best position to succeed. And like you said, LeBron has done that. Jason Kidd has done that. You know, players around the league, that's something you know from the superstars. They're taking their teammates to the next level. And I think Kyrie can do that. It's just a matter of wanting to do that. And that kind of goes with the leadership aspect and leading a team. And that was a weakness last year. Hopefully he can improve on that. What Would be some other areas you want to see him improve?
1: Uh, I really didn't have that many more. You know, those were literally all of mine. It was like three or four, obviously in comparison to his strengths. You know, the defensive side. Um, I think he had a really some really nice defensive plays. Uh, for the Boston Celtics and you know, maybe he might take a step back um, in the Brooklyn Nets system. Hopefully not. Um, but, you know, he can make some nice defensive plays. He's a pretty good sealer. I think he's a better f- defender uh, than D'Angelo Russell. I think alongside Carol Severt he'll be asked to do a little bit less. Um, obviously, isn't doesn't have the defensive capabilities of, of a Marcus Smart does and that's generally uh, what I believe Kyrie fits best in you know lineups alongside Marcus Smart as a lot of people do. Um, so yeah, I think like, the sort of defensive side and yeah and in, in that sort of just consistency and ability to stay on the floor and hopefully just like maintain uh, a healthy body uh, and you know you spoke about the leadership sort of concerns and such but you know we're we're hearing some some pretty positive things around his teammates and and obviously he's a good match with spencer Dinwiddie and we're seeing you know him go into WNBA games with karis levert and um, so i think that until proven otherwise i'm not necessarily putting it as a weakness within this brooklyn nets roster but for Boston, it was a clear weakness. He wasn't able to lead that team. He wasn't able to galvanize them uh, as you know most leaders can. Um, he was still sort of finding, I guess, his identity as a leader, uh, not necessarily as a player, because you know he he's established, he's well established his um, on court identity and on court persona. But I think he's still figuring figuring things out how to do things off the court.
2: And it's just like growing up as a person. You know, you just get a little bit older and you're in a different situation. And one thing it feels good is that you know. Being a fan of the Nets as a kid growing up, I think will provide him a different almost type of ownership of the team, really wanting them to succeed, or maybe he never really felt that way in Boston being traded there. And I think that should help in the leadership front. But like you mentioned, defensively continue to improve. You know, he doesn't have to be a lockdown defender or anything like that. We just want him to be fully engaged, especially in the last moments of games and things along those lines. But like we said, he's an elite offensive player. There's not really a ton for him to improve on that's on the court. It's more of the off the court stuff.
1: Yeah, and the free- throw attempts just as I sort of touched on it um you 3.7 last season hit the lowest number since 2015 and 16 and you know only three seasons across his uh his career has he averaged less than four and you know his most was 4.9 in 201213 uh, he also had 4 point9 in 2014 15 so I would love it to be around the four and a half five number um I think yep. that yeah in the net system where we really sort of emphasize getting to the line, you look at Karis Levert, uh, you look at Spencer Dinwiddie, James Russell improved there. He's still not good there, but he improved there. Um, for a guy like Kyrie Irving, who can get into the paint at will, yes, he has an, a, a wonderful jump shot from all up facets of the floor, but, you know, it just it just makes, it puts the pressure on the defense and, you know, getting other teams into foul trouble and getting other big men into foul trouble. You know, if you're getting, 8,000 guys like Joel Embiid, you know, it puts the pressure on, you know, the, the Sixers to, to, to mess around with some lineups to put guys like Mike Scott and Jonah Bolden out there. So um, I think that if he can bring that number from 3.7 last season to at least a 4.2 or something around that sort of range, um, it's automatically going to make himself better.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great, you know, goal for him would be 4.5, you know, and the best case scenario would be like a, getting to a five. But just adding to that free throw, and obviously DeAngelo wasn't big in that area for the Nets, so that'd be huge for them. But what are some areas his teammates can help him be better?
1: Yeah, so in terms of how coaches, the te- yeah, in terms of how the yeah the, how the team can help him overall, Nick. Um, what I've got written down is that Coach Kenny's pick and roll oriented offense should really allow Kyrie the space he needs to sort of dazzle and do his work so he can sort of just work and and just do his magic and sort of play instinctive basketball which is what Kyrie does better than anyone else you know he's going to have capable perimeter scorers we talked about on the outlet preview that'll be um, out pretty soon you know having the likes of Torian Prince and Joe Harris and a lot of lineups out there is two really capable perimeter scorers and then you've got some decent defenders out there if you've got Jared Allen out there you've got Rodion's Courage who's a decent enough defender uh, a lot of the time and you've got Karis LeVert too I um, mean, hopefully Torian Prince takes a jump there. Then it allows Kyrie to just focus on what he does best and play, not necessarily within the confines of, of Coach Kenny's sister, but also just do his thing. And we saw Coach Kenny give a lot of free reign to De'Angelo Russell last season when that trust was built. It'll be early. It'll be interesting to see how, obviously, Kyrie has established himself uh, through uh, a, a much longer period. He's a little bit older. He's, you know, borderline veteran status, much closer to veteran status than he is to sort of rookie status. Uh, so it'll be interesting, just interested to see how, Coach Kenny balances that sort of free reign with him. And I guess the team overall is that they can lift the sort of slack and and hit those shots. You know, when Kyrie's kicking it out to them, when he's giving them some alley-oops in the pick-and-roll to DeAndre Jordan, hit those shots. You know, earn that trust with him, develop that chemistry.
2: Yeah, you pretty much nailed it, Jack. Obviously, you're looking for the correct lineups with him that provide spacing and also help defensively. And then also, Kenny just giving him kind of free reigns. If you're going to give it to D'Angelo, you got to give it to Kyrie. Obviously, a more talented player has done more in this league, and that's where I think things can get really fun. And then also, I think just having guys like Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan, two great oop options where he didn't necessarily have that in Boston. You know, uh, the Time Lord did get a couple minutes for Boston, but didn't necessarily play big. Daniel Thice was recovering, I think, from a torn ACL, so his hops weren't quite there. So having a lot of Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan out there, because like you mentioned earlier, Kyrie is an underrated passer, and he can throw some nifty ones around the rim for these guys. And then also I think uh, other than teammates hitting shots, I think he actually likes to get out and transition a little more. I know his pace in terms of a player, but I think that was almost a little bit more on Boston. If you know, Karis wants to get on run, Rodions, Torian Prince. I think that'd be really good for Kyrie's game.
1: I think it would as well. You know, watching a, lo- a lot of highlights, you know, there's um, some some moments where Jason Tatum, you know, when he would push out on the floor, Jalen Brown, these sort of guys who are good in the open court. But I think you know Brad Stevens, Brad Stevens plays a little bit more of a conservative offensive system, and the Nets do to an extent as well. They're a bit more of a half court team and like to you know really hammer the pick and roll. And like you sort of said. I think, you know, within the pick and roll, DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen will be really capable. And, you know, watching, sort of touching on Daniel Tice, you know, seeing some highlights from him, He's a really good screener and he give he gave Kyrie a lot of space. So I think that that's an area where like, you know, if DeAndre Jordan can just give Kyrie some space, really nail some hard screens um, and, you know, get his buddy, you know, his, his good mates and some space for himself, you know, so he can roll uh, and also so Kyrie can hit some, you know, if he's getting a, a pick on the perimeter, he can dribble to the left, he can dribble to the right, he can dribble back and hit that pull up three with absolute ease. If he has even the, a slither of space, He's one of the, like you said, Nick, he's one of the best tough shot makers that we've seen in, in, in recent decades. So um, I, I think that his teammates can do a lot. Um, he, his coaches can do a lot. Um, I think that there's the need to give him the free reign and, and the confidence to, to play instinctual basketball while also reining him in at times, which I think, you know, Coach Ken is almost one, a, a pretty ideal coach that you would like to have with Kyrie. Um Brad Stevens seems a little bit more timid by nature and he, he said himself that you know he didn't have a good coaching performance. he took a brunt of the blame. Coach Kenny is, you know, uh, a, an outwardly vocal sort of character. You know, we've seen him run onto the to the to the court for his place. He's had to be held back, um, and you know, we've seen him obviously have some issues with DeAngelo Russell. And you know, is he playing late minutes? This sort of stuff. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the the sort of relationship that you know the point guard, which is you know the the be all and end all when it comes to the the guy with the ball in his hands and the coach uh, heading into 2019-20.
2: Yeah, essentially the coach on the floor. And I think that is a great point with Brad Stevens and Kenny Atkinson. And we've mentioned in the past is Kenny's just a little bit more tougher and willing to go at guys. And I think Kyrie could possibly respect that. And then obviously Kenny's played basketball across the world. So I think players appreciate that as well. And then just different elements of having, you know, KD and DeAndre Jordan there to help kind of keep Kyrie under control. If he's getting upset about things like he was in Boston, I think that'll really benefit the Nets too. And then also I think the Nets just – and this is no disrespect to Boston because i don't know their culture as well. I think the Nets focuses more on basketball and we saw the stories last year with Boston where the team going out late after a back to back and things along those lines that kind of piss Kyrie off. I don't think you'll see that as much in Brooklyn and that should rub him the right way.
1: Yeah, and I think Spencer as well is a similar sort of character to him. Um, in terms of you know they like that they're, they're a bit, you know, they don't, they don't Yeah, they're a bit more woke and, and and I mean that that's fine. Like every as long as no one is hurting anyone else, like, who True. cares? I mean, I it offends me as a, an educator when Kyrie says some s- dumb stuff about, you know, science and, and the like. You know, I'd much rather <laughs> him say some stuff like Spencer did. When he's like, I'm going to get my own Iron Man suit. That's cool. Like, I, I respect that. And, you know, the, the Bitcoin sort of stuff that, that Spencer is a fan of. So I think that, like you sort of said there, Nick, the, the chemistry and, you know, the guys holding him in check, I think that he's going to have that a little bit more. You know, Al Horford as well. If you're looking at a guy who... Um, you know, is probably more a, a leader by example sort of uh, yep. character. Even though you know he sort of was asked the the questions by the media and 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 such about like you know how how did he sort of manage his locker room and he would generally say, sort of say no comments. So I think that he probably does more than he's given credit for. But you know, the chemistry in terms of teammates and how the team can help him um you know i think that how the environment is for Kyrie is it conducive for him to be successful um a lot of it is going to be on the coaches a lot of it is going to be on his teammates uh, but at the end of the day Kyrie chose to be here he's going to have to produce as well
2: and i think another element that'll help is and i think Kyrie is very family oriented and the nets do a great job of taking care of their players family and i think he'll appreciate that but getting to the prediction portion of the show i don't need to ask this obviously Kyrie's going to be the starter he's the most locked in starter that the nets have at this point What do you think his minutes and usage rate will be at this season?
1: Yeah, so uh, minutes-wise, I think he'll be around that 32 range in in the regular season. Um, And for the record, D'Angelo Russell and Joe Harris averaged the most last season and under any year uh, in Coach Kenny's tenure with Mm -hmm. 30.2. And like you sort of said, Nick, last season averaged 33. In 2017, 18, he averaged 32. Uh, So 32 would probably be a low number for him, but... I think that you 32-33 know, is probably something that we are likely to see. I think that the the conservative nature and the amount of guard depth and talent that we do have, the the management, the load management, however you want to put it, that is going to be put on Kyrie Irving, um, unless he asks to play more and he's 100% healthy, I could see that number go as high as a 34, uh, 34 but um, I think Coach Kenny is a little more conservative. The analytics staff, the assistant coaches and everyone around that Uh, isn't going to push him beyond anything above 34 minutes in my eyes.
2: Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to go with 34. I think the Nets are going to need him to do a lot this year. But that'll lead me to my next question, though. How many games do you think he plays this year?
1: Um, I'm going to go... He played 67 last season. I'm going to go just under 70. I'm going to go 69 games. Um, Nice. uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm sure a lot of fans will like that number. But I think that (laughs) I just didn't want to go to 70. Like, if we're talking, like, over-under 70 games, I'm going the under. Um I think that I just tend to be more pessimistic. That's just how the way I am. But I think also that if there are any, like, you know, minor ankle tweaks or minor leg, knee issues, he's going to be rested. Unless they are big games and, um, you know, televised games or, you know, games in March, you know, the early parts of the season, um, the Nets we know are incredibly conservative when it comes to how they manage their players. So I would go above uh, under 70 just because historically Kyrie has only played 70 games or more three times in his career and he's only played 75 games once so um and obviously you know heading into his age 27 season you expect him to be peaking you know physically but he does have the injury history behind him so i'm gonna stick with 69 but i could see him uh anywhere in the realms from 70 to 75 i don't think he's gonna be playing 82 games
2: i just gotta be a little bit more optimistic than you and i'll go with 70 here
1: Of course, or it's like the prices. is <laughs> right thing.
2: You're $1 above. I got to win the prize here. It's what matters. <laughs> uh, what do you think he'll be at usage rate-wise? He was at 29.6 last year. D'Angelo Russell, I believe, was top three or top five in usage in the NBA.
1: Yeah, he was at 31.9%, um, I believe, according to basketball reference. Um, I think I'm just going to go a nice round. number. I'm going to go
2: 30%. That's um, what I got, too.
1: So I think, you know, it's the easy, you could go 30.2 or 29.8 or 30.9 or 31. Um, I think 30% seems a, a, a relatively sort of safe number to sort of put your money on.
2: Yeah, I agree. Pretty spot on there. What do you got for his stat line? Gave me points per game, assists, rebounds, and then shooting splits.
1: Yep. So I've got 25 points, uh, 3.3 rebounds, 5 assists, uh, 1.2 steals, uh, 40% from the three-point line, 48% from the field, and 88% from the free throw line.
2: So I have pretty similar numbers to you. This is going to be like a repeat of last year almost. Uh, 24 points per game. I have him a little higher on the assist because I think the Nets are going to ask him to be a little bit more of a yep. point guard than he was in Boston. So I have him at seven assists, just a touch higher than last year. I think he'll get probably around 4.7 rebounds, a touch under five because that was obviously a career year. 1.2 steals. 47% from the field, 40% from three, and 88% from the free throw line. I wouldn't be surprised if the field goal percentage dropped a little bit more and the points per game went up a little bit more if the Nets ask him to do that.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we've got a question that we'll address uh, later from from Zach Murphy uh, in relation to that, so I guess we'll save it for there. But um, look, you look at the three-point shooting splits from Kyrie Irving, and I think we underrate how good of a three-point shooter he really, is. Really, we do. <laughs> like, the last three seasons, he has shot... 40 percent or above 41 percent in 2017-18 the only aberration across his career is in 2015-16 where he played 50 games um and he had he had 32 percent um and then you know in 13-14 where he's at 35 percent but you look at his body of work since that championship year um the the guy is a stud and there aren't many better three-point shooting uh point guards in the league steph curry Damian Lillard maybe but I would almost rather have Kyrie Irving Um, just like looking at the mechanics and how fluid and smooth he is Um, he has one of the prettiest jumpers in the game
2: yeah I mean when the Nets are fully healthy you could argue they might be one of the best shooting teams in the entire NBA putting out Kyrie, KD, Joe Harris and Atorian Prince they're four very good three-point shooters three of them being elite three-point shooters
1: Kenny would be salivating at that prospect already. You know he's already thinking about when KD getting back because, you know, there were times throughout his tenure where we would struggle, and it, it, it's such a heavy emphasis.
2: We'd have point. one three-point shooter on the floor.
1: Yeah, it's such an important part of our offense. You know, you can't have, you know, Trevion Graham and, and these sort of blokes out there that can't necessarily shoot it at a consistent clip because it's it, it just doesn't fit how we work schematically. And obviously, you have to sort of be malleable in terms of what you're, what you're doing on the floor and, and, and catering to the players that you have. But now the the roster at his disposal uh, certainly does fit that. And, you know, D'Angelo Russell um, was an incredible three-point shooter. Despite the percentages, that weren't even near, even in the same realm uh, as as Kyrie Irving. The, uh, like I said, you know, if you if you're giving me a guy in a three-point shooting contest um, that is a point guard, if it's not Stephen Curry, I'm taking Kyrie Irving.
2: Yeah, it's really that, and I just think another thing for Kyrie that's going to work out really well this year, if Boston last year didn't have a ton of playmakers, where the Nets have a guy like Spencer and Karis who can set Kyrie up sometimes and get him some of those off-ball three-point shots, and I think he shot over 40% on catch-and-shoot threes last year, so it, it should be a really nice season for him on different uh, different levels. But any other pr- predictions? Obviously, I think we both would assume he's going to be an all-star. What do you expect for him in terms of like all-NBA, first team, second team, third team?
1: Uh, I mean, he if he plays 65 games or more, he should make an All-NBA team. Um, you know, the, the other sort of guards that are around that sort of realm, you know, Bradley Beal, Kemba Walker. Um, uh, I think Kyrie Irving has the talent level that is a, li- a step above those sort of guys um but you know when it comes to all nba health does matter so if we see him you know miss a, a few too many games then you know he might make a third team or he might miss that altogether. but um i think he's you know at that point where he's like a perennial all-star he's that popular he's always going to get the the fan vote uh and then when it comes to all nba you know um, he could fight for for a first team you know if the if the brooklyn nets are, are a third seed and um, have a, you know, 50-plus wins, 50-win-plus season, um, and the Golden State Warriors take a step back and Seth Curry misses some games, then, you know, he might be a first-team All-NBA point guard. There aren't many, you know, we've spoken about the, the point guards in the NBA that we think are, you know, at length on the outlet and JBT and other shows full-access hoops. Um, I think Kyrie Irving is with, you know, Damian uh, Lillard. I, I remember I had this argument with Corey on, on um, the outlet on a live show once where I, I picked Damian Lillard and I still probably would, just because of you know last year's postseason success. But um, heading into this year, you know I think Kyrie's got you know um, you know a real point to prove, and I think that if he is healthy, you know I think that he uh, can very clearly and 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 has a real shot at making a, a first team All NBA ballot.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think second is most likely, you know, a repeat of last year. You have Curry and James Harden as first team. But there is potential for him to get to that number one team if he has a really good season. Like you mentioned, Steph isn't great. Or maybe James Harden doesn't have a great year playing with Russell Westbrook. So it'll be an interesting year. Jack, do you want to talk a little bit about your Kyrie Irving um, Dark Horse MVP take on uh, the Hot Take Marathon?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I was sort of talking about and I sort of touched on it a little bit Um and and it sort of talks about where he'll be at the end of the season. You know, I think he could be an MVP, but I think it all depends on health and team success. Um, yeah. I think that if the Boston Celtics had have met or even been close to meeting their expectations, I think Kyrie Irving would have been an MVP contender. If we're talking about you know who the MVP contenders are now, um, you know you're talking about Anthony Davis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, James Harden, Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid. These sort of guys, it's going to come down to record and team success and and narrative. And I think Kyrie Irving has a real narrative. And I think narrative, uh, when it comes to MVP, matters more than anything. Um, so I think that you know a redemption, a sort of bounce back, you know, endearing himself back to to fans and players and, and the NBA public. Um, and he drags, you know, he he solidifies the locker room. You know, he he turns Carousel Verdon to this bu- budgeting superstar and, you know, he, he makes the Andre Jordan a revitalized sort of center. Um, I think that all of it, all of the narrative surrounding the Brooklyn Nets until KD come back comes back is going to be on Kyrie Irving's back. Um, so I think with that, when we talk, again, I'll repeat the point, when we talk about MVP, it's about narrative and I think that Kyrie Irving has as good a narrative as any. Um, he's not my MVP pick, um, relatively speaking, but if I had... You know, if you were giving me two bets, you know, a bet on like uh, a a guy who I think will win it, I'd probably put money on Stephen Curry. Um, But if you're giving me some, you know, $5 to put on um, a, a guy who can be a smoky dark horse chance, Curry is my number one guy in that regard.
2: Yeah, and that's a great point. Narratives really do play a big role. And even if the Nets were to just have a lot of player development from, uh, you know, Karis and Jared Allen and Torian Prince, and they won 55 games, but Kyrie had the big stat line, a lot of the credit would go to him because that's just the way the media works. So there is really some potential there. Maybe if you're in Vegas, maybe uh, put a low low number bet out there. But, Jack, we have some questions from – some of the buzz listeners and Nets fans. Do you want to touch on their questions first or the questions we have for each other?
1: Um, let's go with our ones. Cause that's what I've got in the order of my doc. And I like to be systematic in that sort of sense, but <laughs> All right, um, me. so my biggest question with Kyrie, um, heading into next season um, and, and beyond is can he redeem himself as a franchise leader in the eyes of the NBA public? That's a, a, it's, And I touched on it when talking about the MVP, Um The redemption narrative, um, it it speaks volumes.
2: Yeah, I essentially have the same question. It's leadership-related. Can he lead this Nets team to where they want to be and be that franchise guy that not only leads a team on the court but off the court, and he's someone his teammates can count on? And I really do think he's going to have a really positive season in Brooklyn. I feel confident that he's going to kind of change that narrative, especially with you know the relationships he's building with the teammates, and then also just feeling at home. I think there's a different relationship with the Nets team than he had in Boston. Being in New York City, I think it's big for him, and there's a lot of reports that he just didn't really fit the vibe of Boston.
1: Yeah, and I think that you know, environment is everything. You want to like where you want to work. And True. you spend when, I mean, obviously when you're an NBA player, you don't really spend that much time in the home city. Um, You're, you're in the plane, you know, for, for half of the half of the season anyway. But, you know, when you're at home, you want to have sort of a base. And, you know, we saw Kevin Durant in, in his Wall Street ar- Journal article that he's, you know, prioritizing being pretty close to the training facility. I think he'll probably still be in Manhattan, but um, he wants to be close to his 35 ventures too. But, you know, I think Kyrie, you know, he's Brooklyn born and raised, um, you know, he grew up there. Um, you know, he's, we've seen photos of him as a New Jersey kid before. So I guess the, when we talk about the narrative that we've been speaking about, you know, it's all there for him to really bounce back. Um, and I hope more than anything that he does because, you know, we, we sort of, the, the, His off court antics and and the stuff that he says and likes on Instagram. Yeah. It's fun for content and stuff, but it it almost, it's starting to, it's begun to overshadow, um, the things we spoke about at the start of the episode in terms of his strengths and his on-court play, because he's one of the most individually talented point guards that we've ever seen. And, one of the most unique players that has ever you know uh, stepped foot on a court and um I, I want him to be remembered for that and i think that brooklyn is going to give him a chance to really go look you guys remember that i can do this on the court yeah okay let's just do this thing
2: yeah i agree i think that's a great point Jack. It just like so many people are sleeping on Kyrie because of the off the court stuff or the quote-unquote weird things that he does or that whole situation in boston not working out that they forget that he's a really good point guard And he probably hit the most clutch shot that we've seen in the last five years in the finals against Golden State in Steph Curry's eyes. So I think people are just sleeping on really how good a player he is and so many different aspects of his game, which we covered. But you want to get into some of these uh, listener questions?
1: Yeah, so we'll hit up uh, Dwayne on Twitter, D-U-A-N-E. I want to get it right, Uh, Knight 27 How much load management will he get? Will that hinder his MVP chances or enhance them?
2: I think if he's able to stay healthy and play, you know, 70 games or 69 games, like we talked about, I think that helps his MVP chances. Because if you don't give him load management and then he does get injured and then he's only playing 60 games, you can throw away those MVP chances. Because you really do need to get probably over that 65 mark to have a chance at it. So I think resting him at the right times, especially with the guards that the Nets have, will benefit him on the court and in the long run for the entire season.
1: Yeah, I think in terms of the load management, it'll it's it will impact him. I think it's almost the answer is both for me. Um, I think he, I think he needs to play 70 games plus to to have a chance at the MVP. I think 65 games is is too little unless you are Stephen Curry and having otherworldly superstar aberrations of seasons. Then it's just not going to happen. I think Kyrie Irving's going to have to play maybe close to to 75 games, the, the most of these ever played to be in the conversation because there are that many go- other guys uh, around him that, you know, J- James Harden really takes games off almost to his own detriment. Um, Giannis really takes games off, and, but he plays you know, 32 minutes a game. You know, I think that Kyrie Irving is certainly within an MEP chance, but at the same time, you want to him to be productive when he's out on the floor. And, you know, the Nets would rather him miss, you know, two or three games um, and be peaking in April and March than for him to sort of go overboard and play 76, 77, 78 games uh, and have him, you know, sort of limping into the playoffs. So um, I, I think that it's 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 a little bit from column A, it's a little bit from column B. Um, it might sound like a cop-out answer, but I legitimately do believe that. Uh, you can make, you know, a, pr- a pretty perfect argument that what is the extent to his load management? Is it, exactly. Kawhi, Leonard's, is it Kawhi Leonard's style? I doubt it. But, you know, the, the Nets are one of the more conservative training styles, as we've mentioned. So um, it could certainly hurt him. You know, if, we, if you're, com- you're comparing Kyrie Irving, who plays 71-72 games, to Stephen Curry, who plays 71-72 games, and, you know, I think Stephen Curry has the fanfare, has the media sort of, uh, he's a media darling, and everyone loves him, he's the, the babyface assassin, then you're probably <laughs> going to go with Stephen Curry, just because of the fact that, He's Stephen Curry. This is Kyrie Irving. So um, I think it's 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 certainly both. Um, and sorry if that's a cop out answer.
2: Yeah, I think really the answer is how much load management. Because like you said, if you're playing you know, 60 games, that's not going to be enough. I think if you get to 70, I think you would be okay if you had a really good season and the load management is coming based off a of rest or you know, maybe you sprain your ankle and you miss a few games. But I think the amount of games missed will really determine if it impacts his MVP chances. But overall, like you said, I think the most important thing is him being healthy for the postseason. You don't want him to have an issue like we've seen with James Harden and Russell Westbrook where they're playing every game, but then it comes playoff time, they're not good.
1: I think I sort of mentioned the the number of games that I think he needs to play, 72 games, at least 70 games plus to to be in the MVP conversation. Is that the same number for you, Nick?
2: Yeah, I think if he hits 70 games, that would be enough for him to be in the MVP conversation. 65, he would have to be remarkable. 70, I think, is reasonable because I think there's almost an expectation for players to rest now, especially a lot of the big names are going to rest or play less minutes because you mentioned Giannis who's only going to play 30 minutes and he's going to take plenty of fourth quarters off where, you know, LeBron's going to get some rest and AD's going to get some rest. So a lot of the competition, I think, will be getting load management too other than Westbrook and Harden, but that's their own choice.
1: (laughs) And I I think in that sort of sense, it's probably why I erred on the conservative side to his minutes per game. It's almost like, Mm in-game load management because if he plays 32 minutes a game and 75 games compared to 34 minutes and 68 games, 67 games, what, like, what are those two minutes really doing for you? You'd much rather have him out there for the extra games and, you know, have games where hopefully the Nets get some blowouts here and there. Um, and, you know, you can sort of rest Kyrie. He's playing 25 minutes a night. and You know, he just leads the team in you know, massive first halves. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that the, the variations and definitions of, of load management, that's probably why I went with the 32 minutes because one coach, Kenny, has never played a guy more than 31 minutes a game, 30.2 minutes a game for that mark. Uh, yes, you look at Kyrie Irving's history as a player um, and, you know, his desire to want to be out there uh, especially. But, you know, I think you can manage his within-game management and load management that he can be peaking, you know, and play more games uh, throughout the season than having to take sort of games off to an extent.
2: Yeah, excellent points, Jack. And then we got some more questions from our guy, D Rock, uh, Twitter handle at underscore D underscore Rock underscore. He's got a couple. He said, what is Kyrie's bread and butter play? This is a good one.
1: Kyrie's bread and butter play is some sort of spin sham god. I'm just like, um, no, I I think that he's, I think like his pull up three has become like the stop on a dime jumper from three as a perimeter shot. And then his ability to just weave through defenders. Like, and it's not necessarily like a signature move because I think he has that many moves. And, you know, Kevin Durant spoke about this when he was doing uh, the YouTube show uh, with one of his friends, the live YouTube show, that he just has such a wide array of skills that he just doesn't, you know, you don't know what his skill is. And I think that, you know, that sort of, we know James Harden has a step back. We know um, all these other guys have their sort of signature moves. But the fact that Kyrie has such you know, a wide array of skills in his arsenal probably makes him more dangerous. And you know, the skills that he has, and he can split defenses with his handle. And um, there was one play, I think when I was breaking down the Toronto game where he had two defenders, like right on him. And then he sort of throws the dribble ahead and just runs straight through him. Um, Now, that's not like a signature move or anything, but I was just like, wowed by that moment that there aren't many players that one will even try, two (laughs) will execute it, and three will do it with the amount of dexterity and poise and control that he does. So, uh, I don't know, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think you you nailed it in the sense that his versatility is almost his bread and butter. But I think a couple plays, obviously in isolation, it feels like he can really cook anybody. And that was, you know, apparent after he was able to just do work on Clay Thompson, one of the best on-ball defenders in the entire NBA in the NBA Finals. Like at that moment, I don't think you can be like, all right. Yeah, I'm going to lock down Kyrie. I don't really know if that's a thing. But uh, getting him in isos, I think anytime he has an opportunity to attack the rim, either that's crossing somebody up or splitting two defenders or using a pick and roll and getting that defender in a position where they can't block the shot and using his nice finishing skills. But I also noticed he really likes to work in that low post with just a a little spin move and fade away into a jump shot.
1: Yeah, his fade away jumper is is pure. Um, And he can get it off from any no matter what defender is on him, be it a center, be it a guy who's right in his face. Um, I broke down a Sixers game very recently, just like a couple of minutes ago. And like I said earlier about Jimmy Butler, but... You know, Jimmy Butler was literally in his face, but he just gave that shot, that little bit more arc, and he knew it was going in because it just rolled in, and it was just pretty. Um, so, yeah, I think he we, we, we've seen DeAngelo Russell do it from the mid-range, um, but he does it more on sort of the pull-ups and with, with the high arca, but Kyrie uses sort of his footwork and his body control to sort of go, look, I know I'm getting my shot here. I know I can read the glass. I know where the ring is, and I know it's going in.
2: Yeah, it's like he can make a jump shot out of nothing. Like, there's no space there, but he can use his footwork to open up. All he needs is literally an inch just so he can get the shot off and he's good to go. But uh, some more questions from D Rock. Will we see him uh, dance battle Theo Pinson? Or oh, battle man. Theo Pinson for the best dancer on the team? I misread that.
1: Um. Well, KD needs to save his dance moves uh, <laughs> for a very long time. So hopefully Kyrie can step up we know that there is one of uh, one, when you type in Kyrie Irving when you you're looking for gifts, one of his his gifts is him sort of you know swaying a little bit he's more of a like an an, an arm and upper body dancer mm-hmm. restier's got the moves with the feet so i'm, I'm like all
2: body parts
1: oh yeah he he's swimming <laughs> on the basketball court still like one of the best moments in maybe nets history like we <laughs> had a basketball player on the bench swimming like he was swimming <laughs> Like, what <laughs> that, that that's why you're in that contract here. Obviously, you're a great player, but um, um, I'm hoping to see that same camaraderie. And Kyrie did mention that throughout the Boston Celtics season. You know, he's like, We got these benches, you know, jumping around, dancing and stuff, and what do we have here? Um, I'm not going to say it's a direct reference to the Brooklyn Nets, but it's a direct reference. It was a direct reference to the Brooklyn Nets. So I think he's looking for the vibes. I think he's looking for the fun. Um, you know, we've seen, you know, the Uncle Drew character is all fun. Um, we've seen him dance in that movie. He got some moves in that. It's not a great movie, but the dance scene is pretty cool. Um, Kyrie's got some moves. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see the. I'm, I'm a bit disappointed there isn't like a dance battle night uh, for, for some of the promo nights out in, uh, out in Barclays.
2: That would be funny. A Theo Pinson bobblehead dressed up as like a dancer doing like disco or something. But,
1: uh, Jackson,
2: I, I want the Nets to maintain health. And if they maintain health, maintain health, Theo Pinson will probably be on the bench the entire year so he can keep that role as the best dancer. Kyrie can join the fun once in a while, but we'll leave that to Theo. Yes, but who should be this? Who should uh, Kyrie, you know, should he special mentor someone on the team? And if so, who?
1: Um, I think that. In- if you're looking at who's on the roster right now, I I think Karras is probably the one that sort of sticks out. Um, I think that in terms of improving him as an offensive player, because Karis has all the defensive instincts, has all of the length and stuff to, to prove himself as a player on that end of the floor. But I think he needs a little bit more poise, control and confidence. Three things that are Kyrie Irving certainly does possess in spades. Um, you know, working the three-point shot, um, working the off-the-dribble stuff. Um, K- Karras is very strong and really good at finishing through contact. But you know, finishing you know around the glass with different angles. We know we really like Karras Irving's you know herky-jerky sort of footwork. Um, so he has his own sort of style in that sort of sense. But I think that he seems the most likely in that sort of sense. And um, you know, I don't think Kyrie really had anyone in Boston despite the fact that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum were two young guys on the rise, um, not being guards and not meshing in terms of personality-wise, I think Karras has sort of proven himself to be a really sort of um, receptive sort of guy when it comes to to learning from his peers and and being really just sort of friendly and open. Uh, Not to say that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown aren't, it's just that sometimes personalities clash. Um, And I think that Karras is one that should mesh well um, to mentorship from a guy like Kyrie Irving.
2: Yeah, and we already see that relationship building. And if I'm not mistaken, last year, you know, a lot of talk was like, Karis, how did you get so much better at finishing around the rim through contact? He said the one guy he watched a lot was Kyle Irving being able to finish from all different types of angles so I could definitely see them working in that and you know their their styles are a little bit different in terms of footwork but I think Karis can take some things from him especially in that low post game because we know Karis does some things and I'm sure Kyrie can kind of teach him how to read defenders at certain points because he's excellent at that we talked about body positioning you know Kyrie not being an elite athlete he's a good athlete he's able to get to the rim with such ease and finish around there and that's not something you see from guys that aren't elite athletes
1: and that's the thing I think where we define athleticism by these really sort of you know, shortened and, and narrow variables. Luka Doncic, Kyrie Irving are immense athletes because of what they can produce on the basketball court. They are pure basketball athletes in terms. True,
2: of that's a good that point. Basketball athletes between between a difference between a basketball athlete and just you know a general athlete.
1: Yeah, like we know LeBron James could play, you know, NFL football. We know, you know, a lot of the, you know, Zion Williamson uh, is one of the most immense athletes like we've ever seen. Um, But, you know, I think that athleticism gets way too narrowed down um, in in terms of, you know, are you quick? Uh, Do you have length? Uh, Are you tall? Um, it, it's a very narrow-minded view when it comes to, to basketball, especially. And, you know, you always look at, oh, what are, we like, his intangibles? What are his measurements and that sort of thing? At the end of the day, you know, Karis and Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic are two of the most supremely talented players in, in the game today. And, you know, they're not the the most pure of athletes. Um, I like Kyrie's pace. And I, I think we spoke about, you know, his change of footwork and, and, and all that sort of thing. So he doesn't lack athleticism. It's just that he's not, you know, depending. he's not, He's not dependent on it, exactly.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, he has the right quickness that you need to be excellent in the NBA. Just that one thing that D'Angelo lacked that hurt him in terms of attacking the rim. And I think in terms of like being an athlete, his body control is as good as it really gets. But uh, D Rock also has strength and weaknesses. Obviously, we already covered that. He also asked, what is uh, Kyrie's X factor?
1: Kyrie's X factor. Um, I'd X say factor. health. Yeah, I think health would probably be the number one thing. Uh, Cause because there's really
2: nothing else that, like, we're that concerned. I mean, leadership is a thing, but it's not really an X factor. I think the only thing in, that comes on in my mind is just
1: health. Yeah, I I, I think health and, and, and maybe, like, clutch time play. Um, I, I'm really intrigued to see, you know, obviously it was almost clutch by committee uh, at the latter points of the last season and the Nets at points really struggled because, you know, yes, DeAndre Russell would step up in a lot of moments and we've had Spencer do what he did in the past, but, you know, we now have a guy, despite his, you know, lackluster postseason, who has done it on the biggest of occasions, in the biggest moments, and has hit some of the biggest shots that we've seen. So you're putting, and with Kevin Durant not being out there, you're putting the ball in Kyrie Irving's hands, give him some space, let him ice, so let him do his thing. So the next fact I'm really uh, intrigued to see is when the Nets are in sort of crunch time sort of play, Corey, I think he's going to want to step up uh, and put the ball in his hands and uh, let him work.
2: Yeah, and he was, like I mentioned earlier, he was one of the best clutch players in the NBA. I think he was top five. And, you know, one of the guys being Victor Ladipo who didn't finish the season. So he's, he like you said, he's done it in the biggest moments. I'm not really that concerned with the postseason, you know, action because I just think that whole Boston team just had a lot of issues on that front. But, Jack, we got some more questions, right? Who else we got?
1: Yeah, so final one from Zach Murphy, uh, former guest on the show as well. Would we rather... And efficient Kyrie, so at 23 points a game, 48% from the field, 40% from three. Or an inefficient 27 point, 27 points per game, uh, 41% from the field, and 36% from three.
2: Yeah, I'm all about efficiency. I don't think it, the Nets are going to need him to be inefficient. I think they can get scoring from other guys in the roster. So I, I'm about the efficiency. And that's always just my mindset in basketball most of the time. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I think I'm probably the same as well. And I don't think that we are going to see an inefficient Kyrie. Maybe he might take some bad shots here and there, but you live with that because he provides so much, you know, uh, on the other end as well. Um, But in relation to that, I'm I'm going to go with the efficiency as well. But if he is averaging, you know, in between that, so let's go from 23 to 27. If he's averaging 45% and 38%, then that's probably almost the mark where, you know, you would nearly want it. But, you know, he shot 40% from three quite consistently. He might drop to... 38 you know next season 39 but I still think it's a really good number but this is a question that I thought about when Zach sent it to me as well and you've sort of already touched on it a little bit Nick but would you rather Kyrie emphasize his passing throughout next season or utilize his individual talents as a scorer?
2: Ah, man, I'm going to take, like, a cop-out answer. I think it's all about the bounce and finding the right moments. And, like, if a guy's struggling, maybe making sure he gets involved or, you know, Karras isn't getting enough shots or Joe Harris isn't getting a three, taking a couple possessions out of the game, I want him to be a scorer because – that's what he does best. We talked about it this entire show. He's one of the most elite offensive players in the league. He can score all different levels in a, a multitude of different ways. But at certain times, I think he'll need to be a point guard. And that's what people want in Boston for him to get guys involved and help them make their life easier. So I think it's all about a bounce and finding the right moments in games to do that.
1: And I think there are enough guys around him that are good passes that I True. think he he's not going to have. You know, Karis Levert's a really good pass. Spencer Dimwitty. You know before he became the the driving you know mastermind you know had one of the best assist to turnover ratios and uh, the nba a few seasons ago so and you know we might see some three guard lineups with them uh, that i think will probably be more efficient than they were with Deandre russell out there so um i think i will if i'm gonna pick one i'm picking scoring because like you said he is a supreme scorer um and but again, when the time and and place is there to, you know, kick it out for, for an open three-point shooter, rather than, you know, sort of take that selfish play and, and, and selfish sort of fade away, you know, I want him to make the right plays at the same time. Um, so there, there might be times throughout the season where we we come to criticize Kyrie. It's just like, oh, well, well, Torian Prince and, and Joe were out there free on the perimeter or you're taking the... The, the mid-range 18 footer why didn't you kick it out um, and that time may come uh, you know it's a long 82 game season I expect there to be some criticism um, of Cairo throughout the year you know we've criticized DeAndre Russell we've criticized all our guys in, in some form or another maybe you haven't with Karis Laverta maybe I haven't <laughs> with Joe maybe I haven't with Joe Harris actually I have with Joe Harris and I think I, I'm proud of myself that I can be somewhat objective but yeah he's such a good scorer um and like you said he's improved passing your numbers you know your projections you know make it sort of seem like that you know his passing might be emphasized a little bit more in the Brooklyn net system anyway
2: yeah, and I think when you mentioned you know, Karris and Spencer being good passers, I think the Nets also have a lot of other capable passers. They're not, you know, elite or playmakers in any front, but DeAndre Jordan, Jared Allen, Joe Harris, all guys who can pass the ball. Garrett Temple, you know, they're capable of passing and moving the ball around the offense, which I think is really important. You know, the best offenses are going to have good ball movement. We do have two more questions, though, as well.
1: Cool. Um
2: Sam uh, at the only Nets fan. He's gonna have to change that Twitter handle because they're definitely he's not he's not the only Nets fan. Um, What do you guys What do you guys think of Kyrie Irving's passing ability? Do uh, does Kenny's offense net fit him better than Stevens?
1: Yeah, those are two incredibly good questions, especially the Brad Stevens one. Um, I think that he fits better in in Coach Kenny's system. I think I sort of mentioned it when we were talking about the team stuff and the coaching stuff because it's going to allow him to sort of it's going to sound weird, like express himself more um, Mm. and have more free reign. Um, Obviously coach Kenny can be a little bit restrictive, but I think he was restrictive with D'Angelo Russell for his own personal player development and individual development. Whereas Kyrie doesn't need that. You know, we know what Kyrie is. You don't need to develop that kid anymore. Um, He's in his peak, let him do his thing. Um, In terms of the passing, um, I I think we sort of talked about it a little bit. Um, I think that with the team around him, you know, it depends on the the type of passes, you know, in the open court, I've seen a lot of really good passes from him. He's a really good bounce passer. He's a really good, when he's driving the lane, sort of dumping it off, similar to what Carol Saverda's done in the past with Jared Allen. So I don't think he is an elite passer. I think he's an above average passer. Um, But I think within Coach Kenny's system, maybe he does look a little bit better. But then again, in Brad, in fact, in Brad Stevens' system, I think he would be a better, he, he was and is a better pastor but i think he's going to fit better in terms of the skill set that he does possess and his elite talents within coach kenny's system
2: yeah i think in terms of like his scoring like you said he'll have more freedom d'angelo's getting that type of freedom kyrie isn't a different a different type of player you know he's just better and i think um where maybe Steven's offense might fit him better for passing. I think the fit around Kyrie in Brooklyn in terms of players and skill set might help his passing better because, as you mentioned, he's good at those little drop-off passes, just flipping it up for a big, and they didn't necessarily have the oop options in uh, Boston. So having DeAndre and Jared Allen should help him in that area. And I think Karis LaVerd, we've seen him slowly develop as a cutter, and if Rodions is playing for the Nets, he was an excellent cutter last year too.
1: Yeah, definitely. So there are certainly the options there for him to to utilize those passing talents, too.
2: Yeah. And I I like I just think people forget he like you said, he's not the best passer in the NBA by any standard, but he's a good passer. And I think people just forget about it because you instantly think scoring and ball handling. And uh, last question we got from Bruce at Are You Fan 130. How does Kyrie handle the media? The team gets off to a slow start.
1: Oh, man, it's the the question to end all questions. And probably the one that most fans are worried about. Um, I, I, I honestly don't know if I can answer it. You know, if we're looking at what happened in Boston, um, then, you know, he's not going to handle it too well. But is the fact that the Brooklyn Nets aren't a, a New York, aren't a Boston, aren't a Los Angeles Lakers, you know, aren't this massive sort of media market? Or does Kyrie draw that with him? Um, I think that there's going to be a little less spotlight on him purely because of the fact that we are the Brooklyn Nets. That's not to say we don't have um, great fans and and an awesome media base, but there is going to be less spotlight on him because he's not in one of the biggest sport markets in America. Um, So I think that he'll handle it better, um, but it's not generally the start points of the season that I'm necessarily worried about because Kyrie generally always starts seasons well. It's you know January, February, March when you're into those sort of 40, 50, 60, 70 game slogs, um, 40, uh, those sort of points of the season where, you know, the Nets might have a five-game losing streak. Um, I think that he'll be honest, but he'll also, like we sort of said, have the teammates around him to go, look, think before you say something. And obviously there'll be plenty of guys trying to get a quote out of him um, and, and chucking on Twitter or whatever. So um, the, the answer is, I guess, I'm not 100% sure. I think that there is variability for him where he can handle it poorly but i think that you know he may show a growing maturity and just composure uh, now that he's in an environment that he has chosen
2: yeah i think actually the media presence is going to be like times two this year for the nets just with all the big names and just the lack of attention for the knicks because there just really isn't that much so i think you could see a lot more you know coverage over in brooklyn and barclays center and like you said we really have no way to determine what how Kyrie's is going to react i would think um He's going to be a little bit better than last year because, like we talked about, he's going to know the narratives. And I think if he has something negative to say, the best thing to do is just not say anything. You know, or just-,
1: to just yeah, or to just say to Spencer in the locker room, to say to DeAndre, to say to Kevin Durant, and have a chat with him in, in the WhatsApp, and just like not project it to the millions of people on Twitter and his millions of fans that are watching his every little move that you know is projected by whatever sports platform that he has, because he has so much reach and, you know, I think he's starting to understand the power of his words. And we've sort of seen, um, and we're probably going to speak about it on on a news edition of the Brooklyn buzz that Kyrie has been somewhat sheltered when it comes to the media a little bit, you know, um, quite recently, you know, he was asked uh, attending a sort of charity event, um, in New York for kids with signing autographs and he seemed incredibly happy, but you know, he didn't necessarily refuse sounds like it, it was, it's negative, but he just didn't want to speak to media. Um, and, Some people are reading that into a sort of sentences like, oh, why isn't Kyrie not speaking to media? Blah, 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 blah. Media Day's coming up soon. You know, ask all the questions you want then. But right now, just let's try not to find, you know, narratives, find fire where there is no smoke necessarily.
2: Yeah, I think people just need to understand that. You know sometimes people just don't want to talk to the media or they don't enjoy it like not every player just wants to go out there and talk all day to the media some guys just would rather not talk at all if they had the option we know kevin Durant has kind of spoke about that in the past so i think that's where him and Kyrie relate and i think the nets understand that these guys aren't big media talkers so they might like you mentioned kind of protect them and shelter them in the sense and not force them to do it quite as much as some of these other teams but jack anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here
1: I'm just super duper excited to get me a Kyrie Jersey tee and, and and hit up Barclays with you and and, and myself and just go man Kyrie Owings a Brooklyn Ned um, you know I think that we've, we've said that countless countless times it's it, you know we see him in like you know his kung fu headband and his, his training gear <laughs> that is no
2: uh, lo- longer allowed in the NBA
1: <laughs> I think it's a kung fu headband it's not like tied down it's not the tie one I think he has like literally just the headband it's not like sort of tied Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle style, Ninja style. Um, I think his is just a pure headband that he more wears. And I don't think he's, he wears them very often um, in games. He does occasionally. But I'm just, yeah, really excited to see, you know, one of the most talented uh, individual players, you know, that I've ever, you know, laid eyes on since I've become a real basketball fan uh, in person. And I'm hoping that he can be healthy for 70 games plus And he can really sort of, not redeem himself personally, but redeem himself in the eyes of so many other naysayers that, um, you know, I know I've had my criticism of, of him in the past and, you know, he, he does warrant um, some valid criticism along the way. But uh, for the most part, I'm really just hoping his basketball can do the talking. He can just continue to be um, and, and, you know, solidify himself as uh, hopefully by the end of his tenure an all time Brooklyn, that's great.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think you nailed it right there. I'm looking forward to the season. I'm excited. I can't wait to see the first highlight play on opening night. Just, you know, watch him break somebody's ankles or just do one of these crazy handles. Just a combination of moves you can put out there. And I'm looking forward to him hopefully having the best season of his career. But, Jack, always a pleasure talking Nets. We got the rest of the player preview series to continue with. And you guys can keep hitting us with questions. Jack will be posting the polls of which player is up next. And big thanks as always. And you can find us on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, otgbasketball.com, netthrepublic.com, and YouTube.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.